sermonette before the sermon. Y'all know how I do things. Uh, Psalm 2, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. So it's that verse 3 has is, is got this picture of, of lawlessness. Let us cast their cords away. It's like let's, the restraints of the Lord. The, you know, God places these, these boundaries around us, not, to, not because he's a joy kill, but because he wants us to live in joy. Because outside, I've, how many of y'all have lived outside of the boundaries of God? And sorrow was the fruit of it. Am I right? But when we do things the Lord's way, joy is actually the fruit of it. But sometimes when, you, when you're being raised by your father, you're like, man, dad's just holding me back. I just want, let me do my thing, dad. Dad's just holding me back. And sometimes we view the Lord that way. But he's like, no, I just, my, my, my parents and my spiritual mentors become geniuses more and more every day. It's like, oh, okay, now, yeah, now I have my, my own kids. Now I know why you did that. And so this is saying, let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast their cords away from us. This is the cry of people that don't, uh, maybe they don't like authority. Maybe they're, they want to do their own thing in the name of freedom. But I'm telling you, there, nobody is truly free in this world, and I'm going to explain that. You're a slave to something. You're a slave to something. Peter said, that which overcomes you, you're a slave to. So what overcomes you? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Now, the thing is, Paul said, I'm a bondservant of Christ. What happens when you submit yourself to Jesus? He says, you're free. So to be truly free, you have to be a slave to Christ. You have to be a bondservant to Christ. It's the paradox of the kingdom. To be truly free, you have to be a slave to Christ. Because he is the good master who sets you free. He is actually the father that says, take your inheritance, and if you think it's a good idea to blow it all, I'll let you do that. And, and when you want to come back home, you can. But you're going to have to eat the consequences of your choices. And the moment you realize, hey, it's better in my house, I'm going to put the robe and the ring and the sandals, and I'm going to throw a, a feast for you because he's full of mercy, because he's a good father. No good father ever wants to see their child suffer. But, if, but also good fathers and mothers know that the, you, you have to know your, 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 your actions have consequences. And so the Lord does that. He's, there's times where I've been like, Lord, let me do this, let me do this, let me do this. He's like, no, not yet. Hold up, hold up. And I keep bugging him. He's like, okay, fine. And he gives me what I want. And then I'm, then I'm like, Lord, <laughs> it was a bad idea. He's like, I know, I was trying to tell you, but hey, guess what? Just repent, and 
let's start over. He's not mad. He doesn't condemn you. He's just like, let's, let's try this again. The thing about the Lord is you, always, you take test, and if you fail it, you just get to take it again. He doesn't put an F on the paper. He says, okay, you didn't get it right. Take it again. And he's never mad. He's never ashamed of you in that. You just get to take the test again. And that's the mercy of the Lord. So, so anyways, what I was saying is, verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. So part, did you know that intercession looks, can look like laughter? And so, because all intercession is, is agreeing with God, what he is saying. So worship, this is worship. You agree with who God says he is, his character. You know, we, you are good, you're beautiful, you're, you're merciful. Intercession is agreeing with what he says. So he says he wants to bless you and keep you and give you peace. So we pray that. Lord, bless and keep Matt and give him peace. That's intercession. So here, what's coming out of God's mouth is laughter. And he's laughing at the, the, the lies of the enemy. And so there was just three lies this morning I wanted us to laugh at. That's going to bring breakthrough for some of you. If you've never done this, it's real simple. You just, you just laugh. It's a choice of your will. You don't have to act, feel like you want to laugh. You just laugh. How many of you always feel like praying? Right. I mean, you're always, you, know, you don't, feeling has, is not a, the, if you, if you go by that, you're really not going to do anything. If you always go by feeling, I, I was telling Je Jessica on the way to church, I said, you know, when you, when you, uh, you sometimes we hear our kids say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, if you always did what you want to do, you're going to, like, sometimes the things I want to do are not good for me. So like, I, was saying, I was giving her an example. I said, you know, if I, I just wanted to watch uh, Marvel superhero movies all day long for, like, 12 hours. I would feel, anytime I do that, I feel horrible. I feel more tired or whatever. Now, I love those movies. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, maybe that wasn't a great decision, but I did what I wanted to do. So what I want to do doesn't always produce great fruit in my life. Now, the things that, now wisdom is doing the things that you know you need to do and having the self-control of spirit to be able to, to make that choice. So these are some of the lies that, that I want us to laugh, laugh at. So after I read this lie, you're going to give me your best laugh. It can be your best fake laugh. I don't care if it's fake. I don't care if it's real. You're just going to give me a laugh, even a guffaw. Anybody know what a guffaw is? <laughs> That's a guffaw. Give me one, you can give me one of those. All right, here we go. First lie. I just can't seem to get breakthrough. <laughs> Here's the second one. There is something uniquely wrong with me. <laughs> and here's the third one. I want you to give a really big laugh on this one. Our nation's problems are too big to overcome. <laughs> Good. Now, if you do that enough, now, sometimes I just start, I just practice laughing in my car. I don't, I'm not even, like, choosing a topic. I'll just be, 
I'm like, God's just laughing. So I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> and I'm faking it. And I'm faking it. So it's like, it's not about whether you feel like it or not, but you got to exercise that muscle. If you, sometimes that, that laughter needs to be worked in, in exercise. So just practice laughing. All right. Sermon one, over. Maybe. I don't know. So we've been doing a study on the Song of Songs, and uh, this is uh, the fourth session. And we've, one of the main things I, I've been saying every time uh, we start this is, if you want to love other people better, you gotta, you got to learn how to love yourself better. And so I am naturally outward focused in, in as far as ministry. I, I, I think about outreach a lot when I'm out in the marketplace, sometimes I get overwhelmed with it. I was telling them, like I was downtown, I was just like, God, there's so many people that need you. Oh, and I start shutting down. God, what? And, and, and so what I have to do is I ask the Lord, it's like, just show me the one person today who you want me to love. It may be giving them a compliment. It may just be saying, hey, did you know you're God's favorite? Has anybody ever told you you're God's favorite? Hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, could I pray for you? It's like, it doesn't, you don't have to have a word of knowledge. You just ask people, is there any way I could pray for you? And they may, is there, or you just ask them if they have any pain in their body. But it's just those, just looking to love on somebody. It may be, um, I was at Lowe's the other day, and one of the, the one person that day for me was this lady, uh, older lady who was 78. She was trying to put two rolls of carpet in the back of her truck. You know, and she, I, I was just like, this, she can't do this. I don't know how, who got her, put it in the buggy for her, but, I mean, she can't put those in the back. And so I loaded her whole truck. She had a bunch of stuff. She's just like, God bless you. God bless you. I'm, I'm like, just right here. I was like, yeah. <laughs> she meant it. You know, she was just like, God bless you. I was like, no problem. I mean, just keep those words coming. And so, uh, but that's what I'm talking about. And uh, you may do that for somebody and it may lead to even introducing them to Jesus. So, so the section we're going to look at today is uh, verses 6 through 11. It says, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know a most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock, and pasture your young goat beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Now, if you're like me, when you read this, you're just like, what in the world does that mean? It's just like flowery, gushy, 3,000 years ago language. You know, is this, a, is, this a, is this a Valentine card from 3,000 years ago? But it's a lot, 
It's just because we're disconnected with the, the imagery that he uses. So part of that is, is deciphering that, but also just taking our time on it. If you just read over it, Song of Songs is, one not, is not one of those books that you can just kind of like read. You have to really meditate on it because it's each little section of a sentence has, helps you understand. So, and we're, we're taking our time through this first chapter because the first chapter is really important as we go on through the other ones. The other ones are important too, but you, it sets, the first chapter sets everything else up. So it says, do not look upon me. So it's the sin nature to not desire exposure of our natural self. What did Adam and Eve do whenever God said, whenever they sinned, they ate of the, of the fruit. They went and hid. First response, after, that was after sinning, that was the first response. Go hide. You sin, you go hide. Because there's shame involved in sin. That's why in Romans 8, 1 says, because Jesus has removed the sin, he says there is therefore now no condemnation, or you could substitute shame in Christ Jesus. Okay? So we do not wish to be known as we really are for fear of rejection or shame. If you really knew me, you wouldn't want to receive me. As Holy Spirit gains control of our lives, we, we do not desire to cover any, up anything because our identity is becoming more and more founded in Jesus Christ. We are a new creation. We're coming into more understanding and revelation of that. And the Lord's loving discipline, which is res- represented by the Son in this passage, has made her flesh of no importance to her. So she said, the Son has darkened me. And so it's, she's, just, she's opening up. She's like, I'm, I'm dark, I'm tan. Now, that wasn't something that you desired back in that day. Being tanned actually is like a modern phenomenon, like where that's attractive. People, you remember, you know, even in the, the 1800s, Victorian days, what, they carried the umbrellas around everywhere. They wanted the fair skin. It wasn't, being tanned wasn't what you wanted to look like. And so... She's, she's just saying, I've, I've been darkened by the sun, my flesh, I don't care if you know. God's dealt with me. My flesh is of no importance to me anymore. I'm going to go back. So I want to tell you this story about exposing yourself, so to speak. And back in 2004, when we were at Convergence Church, we were in the time of worship, like what we just just had and one of the elders came up and he said I really feel like God is saying this is a this is a, a window of opportunity to to repent and so I, he invited people to come up to the front to repent of sins now people didn't bum rush the front on that but, but we had a you know a few people came up I was up front now I didn't there was nothing of my knowledge that I needed to repent of I hadn't you know, I, I was, from what I was aware of, I hadn't sinned against anybody. And I just, but I asked the Lord, I said, is there anything I need to repent of? And he said, you crave the praise of man. And I went, is there anything else? <laughs> I don't think that's you. I was like, Dad gum. I mean, it's like, that was, woo. But the, when the Lord rebukes you, it's, like, it's 
you don't feel like... It. Now, there's a difference between the, the devil and the Lord. The devil's voice is always makes you want to do this. Makes you, it makes you want to hide. The Lord's voice gives you grace to do what he's asking you to do. So it's like when the Lord said, you crave the praise of man. It was like the most gentle answer, and yet the boldest answer I, was, you know, I could have expected. And so I said, Lord, what, what or do you really want me to repent of? And he said it again, you crave the praise of man. Now, I wasn't feeling remorseful of the sin. I didn't even feel like I had that. And I turned, but I was like, okay, I need to confess this. I need to repent to somebody, call my sin what it is, and, and repent. So one of our elders was standing nearby, and I just said, hey, I need, to, I need to repent. He says, okay. I said, I need to repent for craving the praise of man. And in an instant, I'm telling you, God knows what's in your hearts more than you do. I started bawling. And he's just holding me like I'm his child. And I just feel the sorrow in my heart of like, God, forgive me for valuing what man says above what you say above me, about me. The Lord knows what's in our hearts better than we do. So you just obey the Holy Spirit. And he's, he'll bring breakthrough. That was like a breakthrough day in my life. What if I had not repented? It would have just been delayed. Because he's going to let me take that test again. <laughs> but that day I chose it. And, you know, the Lord, he spoke to me he, and he says, when people see you, they can't see me. You're either hidden in Christ or Christ is hidden in you. So when people, when people see you, they can't see me. So what, what does that mean? It means like if you're getting the glory... There's only glory for one person. So if you're getting the glory, Jesus is not receiving any glory. If they see you, it's, it's the other way around. We're hidden in Christ. He's not hidden in us. If he's hidden in us, that's, that's a problem. Right. So my mother's sons were angry with me. What does that mean? <laughs> All these were like, what does that mean? I have no idea. So mother's sons represent those who have become children through faith in Christ. They're, they're saved by grace. So the children of the church, so to speak. It represents typically, now this isn't a rule by any means, but older believers, not in age, but in knowing Christ, who are convicted by the zeal of a new, a new believer. Sometimes we, t but sometimes we take zeal or uh, take pride in our youthful zeal, even though we don't have the wisdom to, to operate in it. So Chris Overstreet was t talking about when uh, he's had people over the years, he's, he's like, Chris, you're going to burn out. Because if you know who Chris Overstreet is, it's just his hair is on fire. And he says, 18 years, he had all these people like, you're going to burn out. You need to slow down. You're going to burn out. And he just says, this is 18 years now. And I haven't burned out. And you have the people that are going to tell you not, listen, you, wait till you go through this, and then it'll, 
your fire will dampen down or you won't be so zealous. And part of what puts people off is when we're full of zeal. I know this is how I was. I'm just like, bring it on. You're, just, you're walking around and you're, you're real strong in yourself because you, you still haven't gone through a full sanctification work. And so I used to, so during that time when I was craving the praise of man, was also one of those times where I would go to an outreach and be like, you, you need Jesus. And at one time I was, I was witnessing to this guy and the cop came over and this guy asked, he asked the guy I was witnessing to, he's like, is, is everything okay? Because I was like, he probably saw my face. I was looking at this guy like, this is the word of the Lord. And so, and the guy that I was talking to, he's like, yeah, it's cool, man, it's cool. And the cop was looking at me like he's about to slap cuffs on me. Because I was being real strong in Travis. And I wanted people to know I am, I am a revivalist. I have a fire that cannot be shut up. Look at me. Watch. Look, look, hey, watch this. This is about to be bold over here. Watch this. Well, I'm going to point my finger in this guy's face. No, I'm not really thinking those things, but that's what happened. And so our youth, my youthful zeal in the Lord did not have wisdom attained to it. It says, he who is wise saves souls, Proverbs 17. So you want, you want wisdom. Now, remember uh, Steve and Marcy, who are the pastors of Convergence Church. Now, when you're, uh, again, when you're a son or a daughter, you sometimes doesn't mean you're exempt from having orphan thoughts. I remember Jessica and I having a meeting with Steve and Marcy, and I was a little frustrated because they weren't providing me an adequate platform. I said, listen, I'm not just a youth pastor. I'm a revivalist, okay? And they're, you know, that's great. They're just super gracious. Yeah, we we see that too, Travis. We see that too. And so what I was wanting is like, set it up right, right now. But God, this is, man doesn't really promote you. God does. He uses man. Now, it, he may have your boss promote you or whatever, but it promotion comes from the Lord. And it's just really good to wait on him. Now, if I go back and do that, I would go back to that meeting and just be like, Stephen Marcy, is there anything we can do just to help you? You want us to wipe butts in the kids' ministry? We'll do that, which we ended up doing. I was working a job that I was sucking up poo. I mean, I've talked about poo a lot this Sunday. I don't know what's going on. But that's what I was doing. I mean, I was a water, poo, everything else under the sun. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? I'm missing my calling, my destiny. I'm supposed to be leading revivals. And I'm vacuuming carpets. What's going on? And God's just like, this is perfect training ground. He's just like, man, this is good. <laughs> but it's, 
do you have those moments where you look back? I have some sermons I look back and I was, that I preached. I was like, ooh, I'm going to make sure that doesn't get saved on the external hard drive. And then, uh, and then you have some things that you said, like that meeting with Stephen Marcy. It was like, oh, my gosh, Stephen Marcy was so kind to us. <laughs> it's like so gracious. All right, so they made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own heart I have not kept. So our first responsibility before God is our personal walk with Jesus. Ministry is a fruit of intimacy. Ministry does not lead to intimacy. Okay? Now, I saw this going to seminary. I saw this a lot where guys were, I remember I was in this orientation group, and I remember like a handful of guys being so stoked to start seminary because they're like, dude, my relationship with God is going to go through the roof. And, it, and I, those guys, I know one of them, at, by the end of seminary, was questioning whether to even continue in ministry. Why? Was it the seminary's fault? No. But they went in there thinking that a bunch of reading and a bunch of papers and a bunch of debate is intimacy with Jesus. And it doesn't, that a bunch of knowledge is actually intimacy with Jesus. But knowledge puffs you up if it's not grounded in Jesus, like actually hearing from him. You, that's why here we, we, we talk about it's so important that you hear the Lord's voice. It's not going to contradict the Bible. But it's going to tell you things. How do you know what school to go to? It's not in the Bible, is it? How do you know what job to take? That's not in the Bible. How do you know what to name your child? That's not in the Bible. What the name may be, but you don't. There's a bunch of names. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. You get. You got to actually know him, not just know about him. And so, guys, so guys, we go into seminary just thinking, man. After seminary, I'm pretty much arrived. And like, no, you're just like beginning. We're, we're always beginning. <laughs> you don't ever get, you don't ever arrive. And that's a good thing. So originally what the bride wanted most were the kisses of his word. And as time had gone by, her vineyard, which is the garden of her heart, became choked by spiritual apathy, sin, and shame. So she's just talking about, I haven't stewarded my own heart well. And that's where, you know, some of us are today. It's like, we, you know what, I've been, maybe I've been busy with ministry. Maybe I've turned my focus on other things. And maybe I've let some weeds, some other things just choke out my relationship with you. And I've got good news. It's just as easy as saying, I start today. I'm going to, Lord, it's, it's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. That's the great thing about the Lord is he makes all things new. You always get to, to begin again. Tell me, you whom I love, where do you feed the flock? So the bride is looking for Jesus. She's looking for the ancient past. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient past where the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So this is open no to the Lord from the people that, that Jeremiah is preaching to. 
It says, where you make it rest at noon, the bride is longing for rest and pasture. Noonday sun, that's the hottest day of the, the hottest time of the day. So she's saying, where do you rest at that hottest time? She's looking for, she's, she's worn out. She's looking for rest. She's looking for food. She's looking for the ancient past where Jesus pastors his flock. Those who follow Jesus, who have intimacy with him, they have rest. They have food. Psalm 23, he leads you beside quiet waters and green pastures. Those are the ancient paths of, of the flock of Jesus. So rest and getting, and getting fed, your spirit getting fed, your, your spirit being strengthened. Ephesians 3 says, Paul said, For this reason I bow on my knees before the Father, that he would strengthen you in your inner man through his spirit that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height, width, depth, and breadth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, to know the love of Christ. That word know means to experience the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Okay? For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? So in the ancient world, women veiled themselves when they were working with strangers they were unfamiliar with. So she feels this distance between her and Jesus, and it pains her. These companions are companions of the Lord, but the flocks are not flocks of the Lord. They're rather the flocks of his companions. Does that make sense? So these flocks are the flocks of his companions. It's not actually the flock following Jesus. And so what these flocks of his companions represent are the companies of people who follow men of God rather than being gathered to the Lord himself. I love Bill Johnson, the Mike Bickles, the Todd Whites, whoever your teacher is, Tim Keller, but he's not Jesus. He's not going to have a word for you every morning. Jesus will. Jesus is jealous over you. He is jealous. Because we're talking about Song of Songs. He's the bridegroom. Any husband in here knows if a man starts coming after my wife, I'm not having it. I'm coming. It's like, hey, hey. I'm, you know, I just imagine myself kind of stepping in between a conversation, whether it's defending her or this man's trying to come on to her. It's like, you need to go somewhere else right now. That's how Jesus feels. He's jealous over us. So when the enemy comes in and he's trying to seduce us with his lies, Jesus is like, no, you need to go somewhere else. This is my bride. But what breaks the Lord's heart is when we look at our husband, it's like, I think I'll go with the stranger. John Eldridge makes it even more descriptive. He said, our idolatry, this is blunt and rough, but he says our idolatry is like making Jesus watch the enemy rape us because that's what the enemy does. He's out to destroy you, steal from you, kill you. There's no other agenda that he has. 
But sometimes we look at Jesus, we look at the devil, and it's like, I'll take the devil. But, but Jesus never gives up on us because he is, he, he's our husband. He's, our, he's the lover, and he's coming after us. He never gives up. He never gives up. The devil does. He can actually get discouraged. He's not like God. He grows tired and weary. He's not Jesus. It says that the Lord never sleeps. He doesn't slumber. That he never gives up. He's relentless in his love. The devil's not like that. He tries. He's, he may be persistent. But he's got an end. Okay? So the king speaks. Jesus speaks to the bride. So within the inner chamber, the bride has has come to see three things. She's dark in Adam and beautiful in Christ. Through God's dealings with her, she realizes the vanity of her, of her flesh and the external works of service. And she recognizes her need for spiritual food and rest. So she came into the inner chambers of Jesus in verse uh, 4 or 5, I believe. And, this, and the light, in the light of Jesus' love and radiance, Things get exposed. I talked about this last week. I used to clean windows with a friend, and we, that thing would be squeaky clean, and then you hold it up in the sun, you're like, what in the world are all those spots come from? So as you get closer to Jesus, actually what happens is things in your life begin to get exposed. Not for shame, but for bringing them to Jesus. The only shameful thing is not taking it to the cross. That's where the cross is where shame is executed. It dies there. But the devil doesn't want you. He, he, he tries to put the shame on you and make you retreat from the cross. So three commitments that come out of this in verse eight it says, if you do not know, O fairest, which means most beautiful among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. So following in the footsteps of the flock, this is a commitment to body life. This means you refuse isolation. You, God has set up life for you to be in community and fellowship with other believers. I don't care how, how strong of a Christian you are. You need other believers in your life. Okay, so you refuse isolation. Secondly, a commitment to servant ministry. You refuse unsanctified idleness. Now, what does that mean, unsanctified idleness? Well, I've had friends who came out of a church paradigm where, uh, you know, you had to, you know, that he went to a Bible school where you had to get 125 people saved per semester in order to pass. So it was very works-oriented, and, and uh, so what they would end up doing is they would end up just going downtown, not in Athens, this was in Texas, and any person that, uh, that they'd find on the streets, they'd just be like, yeah, 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 um, would you mind just repeating this prayer after me? They're not even kind of sharing the gospel with them, but they're just trying to have people pray a prayer so they can mark it off because they're just afraid of 
I got to get 125 people saved. So he came out of that extreme, and he went all to the other end of the extreme, where he's like, I don't have to do anything. And now he's out of community with other believers. His love for Jesus has grown cold. And this is, y'all hear me talk about the radical middle. This is, that's where the Holy Spirit's at. Both of these things, all the, the works that, you know, he was doing formerly, that can be done in the flesh. And retreating and not doing anything, that can be done in the flesh. But actually having to listen to the Holy Spirit where he says, hey, you need to rest now, okay? Now you need to serve now, okay? Rest, yes, serve, okay? You have to listen. That's where the radical middle is. But on these ends, I don't have to listen. I don't have to have a relationship because there's a rule. I don't have to do anything. That's my rule. Over here, I got to do everything. That's the rule. But in the middle, Jesus, I listen to his voice. It's the radical middle. Commitment to spiritual authority. So you refuse independence. There's a lot of lone wolves out there. I used to lifeguard with a guy that had a wolf tattoo that said lone wolf on it. That's a total side note. But uh, <laughs> you refuse independence. You need authority in your life, healthy authority. Now, I realize there's not always healthy authority out there. But, you know, Jessica and I, we pastor this church. But we have authorities that we submit to. We have Steve and Marcy. We have... Uh, Bob Johnson, there's other people who are mentors in our life that we go to. It's like, what do you think about this? And if they're like, that's a bad idea, then we're like, we probably need to listen to them. We need to listen to them because they know better than we do. Now, it doesn't mean you always, again, it's that radical middle. And that you're not, I do everything my pastor tells me to do, and it's not, I don't do anything my pastor tells me to do. It's like, hey, maybe this time I take their suggestion or, I, I, or maybe not. You still submit it to the Lord. But people who have authority in my life, their opinions got a lot of weight. It's got a lot of weight. And you don't have to come to, it's people, it's, there's authority in the body of Christ as well. So it's not like, okay, I've got to pass every, this is not about, so what I'm not saying is every decision has to pass by an authority figure. That's, I'm not saying that. First of all, Jessica and I don't want to do that. We don't have time for that, and we're not, that's not what we're supposed to do. But there's been paradigms of ministry in the past that, yeah, that's what they wanted you to do, pass, you got to, Everything's got to go by the pastor. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is Stuart and Casey, they got to make a decision. Maybe they talk it over with Matt and Lauren, Zach and Sarah Catherine. Maybe they pass it by us. And then, you know, they've gathered opinions. They've gathered, gathered counsel. They're praying to Jesus, and they make a decision. And maybe it's, I give them a warning. He's like, listen, that's going to that's gonna bite you. And they, if they don't listen to it, that's totally fine. They don't have to do that. They don't have to listen to me. They'll, 
they'll see the, the fruit of their choices. Or if they're like, yeah, I'll, I think that's a good idea, so we'll do that. Whatever it is. But do you understand what I'm saying? This isn't like a heavy authority thing. It's just that you re- it's, it's up to you how involved and how submitted you are to the body of Christ. So I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with string of jewels. So he's comparing her to a horse. You know, some women may not like that today. But that was like a high compliment. She's like, he called me a mare. <laughs> but it was the finest and strongest war horses in the world was, was uh, the horses of Egypt. And not only that, but he's saying, you're not only part of the horses of Egypt, but you're actually Pharaoh's horse, which means you're the best of the best. You are, to me, my love, the best of the best, is what Jesus is saying about you. Her cheeks are lovely. So our emotions are attractive to the Lord. You know, some of you grew up in a house where if you cried, it was just like, hey, you need to go off in a corner, and uh, when you're done crying, then I'll, I can enter into a relationship with you. Now, we had, Jessica's been good for, good for me because I've had to work through a paradigm of like, I just need to suck it up. Just need to suck it up. Josiah had gotten upset about something yesterday, and it was something that he had, he had done something wrong. He was just having a really hard time of getting over it, and I was working on a project, and uh, he came out there, and he was crying for about 10 seconds behind me, and Jessica was like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But it's okay, all right? Gave him, and I nurtured him, but I just, you know, at first I looked at him, I was like, okay, he'll, he'll get over it. And then Jessica's like, uh, dad, go. Yes, Holy Spirit. I mean, wifey. And so anyways, <laughs> buddy, I love you. You're amazing. We forgive you. Let's move on. We don't hold this against you. We're not mad. All that kind of stuff. And he was good. But if I just let him sit in that shame for a long time, it could have been different. I want to protect his heart. And we don't do that perfectly by any means. Guys, husbands, listen to your wives. Listen to your wives. You will see. Right, I, was a little, I was listening to Brian Adams this weekend, so anyways. Does anybody know what song I'm even talking about? Thank you, Clint. Laura, all right. Your neck with chains of gold. What does that mean? So the neck speaks of the will. So you remember in uh, Old Testament, God would say, this is a stiff neck people. It means they don't want to submit. They don't want to obey the Lord. But this is the opposite of that. He sees her neck as beautiful. So the gold represents submission. It represents even authority. That gold is a representation of uh, royal authority because only kings and queens could afford gold back in that day. If you had gold on, then you're like, oh, you're royalty. 
So he's looking at prayers. You, your neck, you're submitted to me. You, you live with a royal attitude, and you see yourself as that way. So character and redemption, the chorus says, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So gold speaks of character as well. It's been refined by fire. The studs of silver speak of redemption. And she will be used to bring redemption to people, and she will be equipped to deliver others. We will make you is a divine promise to complete his work in her. And so God's going to make us into the person that he chooses us to be, which is to look a lot like Jesus. He promises victory to us in those areas that we've stumbled over. And you're actually, so I want you to declare this over, over yourself. Say, my area of greatest struggle is the area of my greatest victory. The area that I've struggled, I will deliver others from. And so maybe you're, it's, it's like I always think about this. Part of what God's called me to do is to, is to be an evangelist. And I'm like, why'd you make me an introvert? Has anybody ever else had that, you know, a question similar to that, asking guys like, if you want me to do this, why did you make me this way? And I felt like the Lord says, so you could overcome and, let, and not let others live in that excuse. I was like, all right, let's do it. And every day, you know, it's like, I'm just, I could be, I could read a book in my house all day and just be holed up like a hobbit. I'd be, I'd be fine. That's how I actually get, replenish my energy levels. That's what, that's the definition between an introvert and extrovert. An introvert doesn't mean that you're shy or you don't like people or you're socially awkward or anything like that. It just means that you get your energy by being alone. So you, so you got to, the power meter goes up whenever you get some alone time. Extroverts, power meter is always like, I need to be around some people. <laughs> Where's the party? And so, you know, it's, we've got, you know, our associate pastor is one of the, is an extrovert. How many of y'all know Jesse? Yeah. Jesse is like one of the best partiers I've ever been around. And he gets life from, like, community. He's just like, yes, people, people, people. And that's why he's, like, really good to have on our team because he sees things differently than I do. I was like, you know what? I would, I would have never thought that was a good idea, but as you explain it, yes, Jesse, that's a good idea. So I want us to, to end on this, these three commitments, that we commit to body life, that we refuse isolation, that we refuse unsanctified idleness, apathy, and that we also refuse independence. So I want you to stand with me. If we have the ministry team, come on up, and Drake, you can come up as well.
So we're going to worship to one more song. And as, as we worship, this is going to be an invitation to receive ministry, okay? If you're like, you know what, I've, I've isolated myself or my love has grown cold for Jesus. And that we love to pray for you. You can come up here and repent. Now, if there's anything that you need to repent of, repentance is a good thing. It brings the kingdom of heaven. So there's this little lie that, that floats out there. It's like, I, re- I repent because I'm, I'm horrible. When you repent, it's, you're making war against the devil. It's an act of war. I just like the thought of sticking it to the devil. Isaiah 61 says that we get vengeance upon him. The the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. So this is the day of vengeance in Jesus Christ. So when you repent, you bring the kingdom of heaven. But you got to call a spade a spade. Sometimes I'll have people come up here and they'll be like, I've just got some uh, impurity in my life. I'm like, well, what is that? Call it what it is. There's no shame. Or I've got this, I've got that. And so there's, there's, there's no shame in sharing, but you got to call it what it is. Because that the generality of your penance is, is still a hiding it's a form of hiding. So you just call it what it is. You don't have to go in great detail or anything like that. But just call a spade a spade. And you're gonna, you'll get freedom. You'll get freedom when you call it what it is. So this is the ministry time. If you need physical healing, they'll love to pray for you. Or if you want them to, to even give you a word, like, you know what, I, I'd love to. I just need some encouragement right now. They, they'll do that. So let's worship this song. Come and receive ministry and also if you've never most most importantly if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you from your sins come talk to me today's the day to do that don't wait there's never a day you don't ever put that decision off because you're really not guaranteed tomorrow so come talk to me if you want to receive Jesus